0: Names at all. <laughs> all right. I think we're on the air. There's so much going on around here. Here is hard to tell because there's people from all over the city pulling up in front of WBOK today for the big mask giveaway. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't get here soon, you are totally going to miss out because those masks are going so fast. The cars have been lined up to Paris Avenue and they come through and it's going to be gone. You've got to hurry up now. And we are going to have a great show right now. Because Kalisha Garrett, who's been one of the real driving forces for the Black Chamber of Commerce, is on with us. And then we're going to have uh, John Barnes, who's one of the art heroes of New Orleans, runs the art department at Dillard. And then we've got Keith Spera, who writes about music, and he knows everything in New Orleans. And Aaron Neville is calling in from New York. And to talk about the passing of little Richard. What a shame. We've been losing so many legends lately. Just so many legends. But you know what? We're in the process of making new ones. Exactly. Right? And this is what is gonna tell me about because the big question is, what what is happening right now in our business community? response to what we're going through that tells us we're going to have hopefully a brighter future when we come out of this. I mean, we thought that was going to happen too during the uh, Katrina. Some things got better, some things got worse, and that's usually the reality.
1: Yes, Jean. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, as executive director of the New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce, we have been involved in activities, in task force meetings, and advocating on behalf of our small businesses, and also writing letters, emails, hosting webinars, having access to those professionals and, and organizations that can assist our businesses all in effort to be the resilient community that I think we are. As you stated earlier, you know, we went through Hurricane Katrina. We've seen many different types of tragedy and disparity that has been plaguing our communities for years. But nothing, nothing was there to prepare us for this unprecedented pandemic and for it to be happening globally all at the same time. So to your point. We have buttoned down, we've come together, we have joined forces with other organizations in efforts to ensure success, viability, and hopefully allow our businesses either to come back as strong or stronger than they were or to invent themselves into other industries so that they can continue to be a productive person in our economy uh, and, and, for that's, the state
0: of and that's, I think, the yeah. thing we're really all hoping for, is that this is going to be a time of invention, of innovation, shifting gears, coming up with new things. You never know what's going to come out of something like this. I'll tell you, one thing that's come out of it is revelations. It has. We've had revelations about things we knew were there, but we didn't focus on, and we didn't know how bad they were. So when we saw the death rates
1: start to go up, not
0: only in the black community, but in the Native American community, in the Hispanic community, and in areas with higher pollution. How about that for a revelation? So
1: there's so many contributing factors, um, but I do want to say that we have had excellent representation. Um, I've seen our administration, our federal delegation, our local delegation, our governor, all be called upon from national media, as well as participating in local efforts, such as these today, local organizations giving back to the community, ensuring that people have masks, our city council members hosting food giveaways and food drives, ensuring that our small businesses are still kept you know, in a, a manner in which they can continue to hire their people. Our health department looking out for ways that we need to re-engage during this period of time because it's not over. We don't know what ramifications are going to be yeah. set in. We do not know what the future is going to hold. As I stated before, unprecedented is an understatement as it relates to what this pandemic is going to show us. But what we have shown as a community is that we are one of resilient people. We know how to come together. We will support each other. We will check on our neighbor. And through all of this, collectively, the way that we are going to beat what we have been faced with is to pivot, is to reset, is to understand how can we move on in this new New Orleans, in the new revelation of what social interaction and business productivity is going to be.
0: Kalisha, do you have any kind of examples of things that you see bubbling up Um, That are happening. And and just before I go into that with you, I just want to point out, we were unlucky to have the wrong guy in the White House. I call him the lunatic in chief. (laughs) But at our level, Mayor Cantrell and Governor Edwards, what a godsend. Thank goodness for them and for... The resiliency and the commitment of our community. I mean, as you said, we've learned resilience. We know how to do resilience, and we're doing it. But tell me, tell me about some of the developments that you feel are coming.
1: I can tell you that um, through working under a committee. Management um, with the Resilient Louisiana Commission, as well as participating on the Louisiana Economic Recovery Task Force, both the legislature and our economic development agencies under our governor are looking at ways to ensure that we are safe in our activities, but also trying to identify what are the hindrances, what are the things that are precluding our businesses from being able to come back and and perform. There are always roadblocks. And and with that, um, many of what has been uh, shared through our small business and retail task force have been that those businesses that may not be allowed to operate in phase one, at this point, what do they do? Because there's not a program um, in place that is really addressing, okay, I can't open still due to the regulations. So financially, they still have obligations, right? And as we look at these periods of allowances uh, for the PPP program as as well as EIDL, what are the things that are going to be there to help smooth this transition, to provide some additional funding to ensure that they will not have to close their doors due to the fact that they may not have been able to open because of health risk or implication, right? And then secondly, for those that may not have been what we call document ready, I sent some information to you last week um, regarding the program that we're going to have on next Tuesday morning uh, at 9 a.m. And I'm hoping that people will go out to our website Tell and register. It. Right. Yeah. So next Tuesday morning, we're going to have a, a webinar that's going to be uh, hosted by Ms. Uh, Bridget Gagne. Um, she is an accountant and CPA, and she's going to talk about the PPP documentation that you need to have. Because as many of these businesses have received this funding, as well as will be receiving EID funding, there, there are um, not as clear guidelines as to what documentation needs to be kept and, and how they will have to report it. Because the PPP went through various banking organizations, some have different requirements yeah, than that's others. Been a right? has big problem, and yeah. In addition to that, looking at ways that we can ensure that this information is provided across ethnicities, right, and understanding that we have to have information available in multiple languages so that all of our business owners are able to understand and have those records kept and protect themselves from liabilities because, again they've not done this before. And so many of them may not have been prepared um, for the first go-round. There's still funds that are available through some of our local organizations. Um, we've partnered with uh, Hope Credit Union um, to get some information out um, for them, as well as Lift Fund. So there are some organizations still pushing out uh, applications for PPP assistance. Um, but again, many of our businesses needed to be document ready. And, and that is something that we're going to talk about on this webinar next and, week. And that's so very
0: hard for people. I mean, and there's a lot of us including myself who don't love those documents and, and so we don't necessarily have them all ready in the right file ready to go yes. and so we have to kind of uh, you know
1: recreate what needs to be there pull them, it together from four different you know locations um, and again What? I had
0: somebody who works for me who was in a hospital uh, on the ventilator for several weeks. By the time he left, his papers had all been stolen. Oh, my. So he lost his driver's license, his ID, his Social Security card, everything. He had to start from scratch to pull that stuff together. Yeah, and um, there
1: there is a a vulnerable community um, that... Are business owners who may have at best been first generation businesses that may have come into business management through a trade or a skill that they have, right? Um, And may not have had separate payroll. They they may have been a sole proprietor and understanding contractors how to, and how we, to most of us that. work
0: with contractors. Again,
1: as we're sitting here at WBOK, let's think about the musician community, the artist community, who at best have contracts or recurring events because we are an event driven city. But if they're canceled, then how do you notate exactly what that income was? So there were some barriers that were there. Um, that we do need to address. We need to understand how we can assist and ensure that that we all are able to participate in the opportunities that are there. And I can't urge those individuals, if you are not a part of an organization, if you feel that you do not have representation, there are task force that the city of New Orleans has set up. I know that our neighboring parishes, St. John Parish, St. Charles Parish have all been sending out information. I would encourage them to contact their local delegation to share those stories because if they don't have that information they're unable to speak on your behalf. And, so and is people there, is do feel one? that they may not have that representation. <laughs> Right. Is, is there one
0: particular... A source uh, online or otherwise that you want to recommend that you think is one of the easier ones to access and, and get information from? We,
1: we are, are asking the state um, to advise on having a central source, um, such as a repository, for information regarding state-allowed um, assistance, uh, federal programs that are coming through, um, contact sites. We, we, have su- we have suggested that recommendation through our Small Business and Retail Task Force to the Louisiana uh, Resiliency Task Commission. Um, we are waiting for that information to be responded to. At this point, I would direct people to the LED's website, which is org, as well as they can check through our newsletter from the New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, okay. If they go okay. to chamber again, it's N-O-R-B-Chamber.org. And go to that website, you can click and see our latest newsletters. In those newsletters, there are helpful hints and recommendations um, for information, webinars, and assistance that is available. Um, one other resource that we do uh, highlight and share is GNO Inc.'s website. So yeah. org. You can check their website as well. There's also a listing on there about other loan opportunities and resources. Um, again, I would... Encourage people to access as many sites as they can, but for those who do not have access to do so, um, I know that there there are some uh, centers. Um, there's an assistance line uh, through the city where they may be able to contact them and, and get some telephone numbers, or they can call us. Um, our office number is five zero four nine four eight zero nine nine one. Again, that's five zero four nine four eight zero nine nine one. We have not closed. We have continued really? operating have virtually. In the office. Yes. Oh, that's right they're not in. We are. Virtual. But
0: they connected to the Yes, lines. our lines are yeah.
1: forwarded. Um, our website is still active. Our newsletters have been going out uh, almost at a daily pace. Um, wow. We are on social. They can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on uh, Twitter. And uh, we are updating and sharing information um, as much as we possibly can. So
0: you are all over this. Yes. You are all <laughs> over this. Now, let me go back to that. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear Do you know of anybody who's got some kind of hot entrepreneurial idea that they are developing that you can share I mean some people are are you still at a, a phase where they don't have their protections lined up and so on but are there some general ideas that you're hearing well can. what about you I mean <laughs> what, what brilliant you're an entrepreneur you run your own business exactly right? exactly so tell me about what you're what, the, what what are you thinking the
1: good thing about um, what what I've been doing I work mainly uh, with other consultants um, regarding policy implementation and providing a uh, guidance for state and governmental agencies uh, regarding the utilization of small businesses and procurement opportunities. That is the one thing that I can tell you that we have Continue to work on tirelessly, getting information about opportunities out to our small business community, sharing it throughout the state. Those opportunities that are available through through the government, the municipality pages, our school boards have been putting out uh, information requests. Um, our state has been putting out information requests for businesses to respond. We are hoping that they are still taking advantage to reply to those contract opportunities, and hoping that other state agencies will adopt some of those procedures that we put in place to ensure. That we are looking to use local first. We have to start reinvesting into our small businesses and ensuring that our dollars are staying in our community. Can I
0: tell you something? I never buy anything from Amazon because I don't need to put a penny in Mr. Bezos' pocket. Outside and I want to put those pennies into my local stores. And quite frankly, I know we haven't been able to get there a lot lately, but I want to go there. I yeah. want to mix with folks in town. I want to meet people. I run into people I know all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes somebody hears my
1: voice and says, oh, you're that girl on, on the Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, so what you were asking about earlier, we actually started a We Are Open campaign in our newsletter. So at the trail end of it, um, we've asked our businesses to send in uh, marketing collateral stating what they have done. Many of our businesses have transitioned to doing the cleaning, providing personal uh, protective equipment, creating masks. Um, helping with those documents that were not uh, in uh, ready a ready form when they needed to respond to the applications for PPP and EIDL. So we do have some businesses that have, um, as I like to, to, to say, press the reset button. Um, right, I think that this right. is the period that we are in. We need to understand that some industries are not going to come back. We've seen this revolution. Did, did you, you see
0: that number yesterday? It was a very <laughs> discouraging number. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be true of us, but I think they said that they are predicting some of the... Mm-hmm kinds of predictors now. Everybody wants to predict. But there's some predictions that 45% of the businesses may not come back. I don't think that's going to be true. I think we're going to do better than that. But um, it's going to take a while. It's going to take time. And that's the main thing, is the patience. The fact that we have to still keep wearing masks. I mean, there's a lot of people who think, oh, I can go out now, I don't have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. I was out in City Park two Sundays ago, the Sunday before Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. There were hundreds of people in the park, maybe thousands, and the cars were lined up on every street. Mm -hmm. We kind of cruised around in our car with our dog, Mm -hmm. and um, by the time we left, Two hours we'd only seen four people wearing a
1: mask. Right. That is so I think that inconsiderate right. irresponsible. We we've actually been um trying to uh, <laughs> trying to share the importance of, of wearing the mask. Um there there are There are individuals that um, thankfully may not have been touched as closely as some of the individuals in our community have been with families that have had individuals uh, die from this disease, right? And so this, this is the thing that it is not something that can be seen, right? It's not as if um, there's a color that'll show up if someone is positive or there's an, an outward um, showing that could be there. And because there are people that can be asymptomatic and walking around and may not know that they are carrying That's and then they're not even knowing about whether or not you're infected for no. an additional two weeks. You know, no. so there's going, be, there's going to be longer there's gonna be a um I, I don't think these,
0: these limits that we keep hearing the two weeks, the four Correct. weeks, the whatever, whatever. You know I don't I don't go by that. No. Because... Uh, I'm seeing. We're hearing more and more about people whose symptoms are continuing after there, there the disease. There are there are, there are people symptoms who are having a hard time happened. recovering. So exactly, that's a good reason again for people to be more careful about wearing their masks. Correct. Correct. Tell me about your business. Tell me about. I want to know how you got started. Oh my gosh! And, and and how how you've pushed through to where you are.
1: So I, I actually started uh, in the medical field. Really, I, I wow. was first a nurse. Um, and then uh, actually ran a pharmaceutical research company for about uh, seven years prior to Hurricane Katrina. So at that time, was still in the medical field and had to come back um, to uh, close down that research center because, of course, with the devastation that we felt here, we lost uh, most of our patient population. Um, I transitioned at that time into business and uh, went into a couple of different industries. I've been a stockbroker and have always uh, worked with uh, small businesses as it relates to their conceptualization and understanding the management and relationships, like identifying how they can expand their businesses through brand, through region, and through their client relationships, right? And so many of my my personal clients, I work with them on that. Um, but the passion for small business uh, in this policy work um, came as a result of my being the uh, regulatory compliance um, and um, supplier diversity director for Caesars Entertainment located here at Harris Casino. So I worked more prevalently with contracts and and breaking up those opportunities and ensuring that we had representation from DBEs, from minority businesses, um, as well as from women-owned businesses and other diverse ethnicities, right? So we looked at ways to make sure that we were doing business with, with our community versus just doing business with those that may have done it before. You know, we women have always had to talk loud <laughs> to get listened
0: to, right? But right now, right now I got we got to talk even louder cuz we got some guys out here who are not you know, t- tuned in necessarily to exactly what we're saying. It's
2: guerrilla
0: radio, though. guerrilla <laughs> radio, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but it is a beautiful. It's a beautiful day, and I love the fact that, that this organization Look is at, out here. Look I mean,
0: that's the thing about this station that I've always felt, and one of the reasons why I've always been committed to it, and have been. I've been on the air now for six years. Can you believe that? I just, oh, wow! I can't. I can't believe <laughs> it. But um, it, it it really yeah. is a station that has always pulled in everybody. It is not just a demographic island. Uh, There are people listening from all over. If you wanted to know what was really going on in the city, always, from a political standpoint, social, (laughs) educational, anything, this was your station to go to. And, And this parade of cars picking up there. Um, Their masks are proof of that. Guess what? My next guest is actually here. Fantastic. He didn't know he was supposed to be here live. (laughs) I said, what? (laughs) But he's here.
1: Well, look, I've actually enjoyed speaking with you. Um, And just as I stated, you know, we we are open. New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce is is still out there kicking and screaming. We're going to continue to do so until that last breath is taken. It is our our charge just to ensure that we are building the community. We are ensuring that we have minority business participation. And we're asking those questions and pushing down those barriers that are prohibiting our businesses from seeing the same economic success as their counterparts. There's no reason for it. So. <laughs>
0: pers- spokesperson. I am not going to forget that. I want you to come on more often. you. you've got you. anything you please. want to talk about and promote, please call me. But also <coughs> send me a link. To your newsletter, Absolutely. we'll put a link in our newsletter. Thank you. Thank you. And vice you. I versa, appreciate you put that. a link in there for ours. I because, appreciate Because uh, we cover the we cover the waterfront too. I mean, uh, we're a little bit more cultural, environmental, uh, as opposed to just small business. But uh, we try to address the opportunities of this community. And one of the opportunities is dealing with the environmental issues, culture. People just don't seem to understand that culture. is a big part of our economy. It is. It's not just for the fun. It's not. Not just in the streets, it's in the boardrooms, it's everywhere. We have to pay more attention to it. We want to talk about that some more. Well, thank you so Kalisha, much. I'm you so happy that you came on. And it was kind of a crazy uh, setting. <laughs> not a problem. But we love it, right? We know that it's a good thing to see all these folks out here. Not a
1: problem. I'm going to scoot over and allow you to have your next desk come on, and uh, you have a wonderful afternoon. Switch over with her. I'm, st-
0: I'm good, but I'm going to steal back my cushion because my back is bad, bad, bad. Oh. I everybody we're about to switch gears and we've got one of my favorite artists in town is with us now and he's not just my favorite artist he's a good person and i am addicted to good people (laughs) i really am you know you have to you have to keep your eye on the good people because there's too many of the other kind. I agree. <laughs> oh, I look talk. at you in your new mask. Yeah, I got my, my You know what I mask. like about that mask? It's interesting because there's something about the fabric mm. where I can actually see your mouth and your nose, the shape of it.
3: That's great. It hugs the contours yeah. to keep stuff from going in, you know? Oh,
0: it's it's really... I, I've got to get a few more of those before I take off. And uh,
3: actually, I can breathe a little bit better through this. I can so, breathe a little bit better through this Uh, uh
0: Through that mask. fabric. I'm going to have to try it. So, you' y'all, this is John Barnes. John is an artist who makes really interesting work. I think he may use the word assemblage sometimes. I'm not sure. We'll let him say what it is. And then he teaches students, art students at Dillard. And I, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to him today is because I need to understand... How the young folks in town, the creatives, who we depend on, who are a part of who we are, are dealing with all this, and I thought you might be able to share that with me, but let me talk let, let, let's talk just a minute about you and your art, and I want to know um, what you you know talk about what you do in general, and then give me a feel for how this is affecting your work.
3: Got you. Well, uh, my name is John Barnes, and uh, I'm a studio artist, and I work in a range of disciplines. But uh, my primary is with wood. Uh, with wood, I, I find a spiritual connection to mundane objects. And one of the things that draws me to wood, of course, is the wood grain as well as the pliability of the material. So I've worked for many years. I've done a range of... Okay, my mic went out. Hello? Well? well?
0: I need some okay, tech I help. It.
3: I think I'm back. Are we on. all right? Okay. Okay, uh, so uh, I've worked in a range of mediums and, and styles, but uh, I think I'm best known for my wooden assemblage works, where I take uh, bits and pieces of found wood and some model wood and I construct uh, abstract narratives that deal with the human condition. Now, I also uh, a new thing I've added during the uh, lockdown is I, I do these pyrography uh, reliefs on cypress. I've been doing well, these what lately. What does
0: that mean? What does that mean?
3: Well, that's where you take a heated piece of metal and you uh, you, you incise lines into the surface. So they're really, really involved. Lots of hatch marks, and it's, it's very rich. Places where you can see my work, I have a website uh, that has three galleries of work. That website is at www.johnbarnsart.com, and I also have an Instagram page, johnbarnsart@instagram.com at instagram.com, where you can see a lot of works in progress, uh, especially some of the newer pyrography. Okay, hello, hello, hello.
0: We're having a little uh-huh. bit of trouble with your mic. Let's let's share mine.
3: Yeah, so that's where you can find, you know, some works in progress with the pyrography. Hello, hello, hello? Hello? All right, so... Uh, it's going way. in and out. Okay. out. Hello?
0: <laughs> Stay good? on my mic. Stay on my mic.
3: Okay. Hello, hello? Oh, okay. Right. So, yeah, that's where you can... That's where you can see uh, newer works in progress. But, you know... Every time we have an interruption like this, this is not the first interruption we've had. If you can recall over the last 20 years, we had 9-11. That was a major disruption. Of course, a few years later, we had Hurricane Katrina, another major disruption. And now we have COVID. Each time we've had these disruptions, it's created a reshuffling in terms of priorities of artists, collectors, and curators. It's reshuffled their priorities. So a lot of artists who were, I guess, doing well prior to the interruption, they might find themselves uh, not necessarily in the same bracket that they were in before.
0: How does does that work? How does it change? And, And how does an artist know... Uh, that there a change needed, and how do they make that? Um, how do they make that transition?
3: Okay. Well, usually the artist finds out. Usually the artist finds out about it uh, last. <laughs> you know, because we're we're conditioned to uh, stick to our guns and working in certain ways. And I do find in this era that is not as useful as it might have been in. Previous eras, so I try to have a diverse range of artistic efforts that I can introduce because what is uh, needed at the moment once you have a shutdown and a restarting it's not clear what's going to be the, the aesthetic it's not clear what's going to be the the, the mode of exchange of artists. It's not clear because we're very early into this COVID thing. Uh, We have no idea what the next 18 months are gonna bring us, but everybody's kind of conditioning us to look towards 18 months as the end of this.
0: Well, I don't think end is quite the word because it's definitely a matter of phases we're going to be going through. Certainly there's going to be a lot more open. And as we open, it's going to put more pressure on each of us Mm. to do the right thing. Because we can't just say, oh, open, so now we can just go run around and be normal. That's not how it's going to be, right?
3: Right. But one thing I I, I do think is counterproductive is for artists to become uh, billboards for political agendas. Uh, You know, we we have to understand that our creative practice should not be used that way. Because, uh, you you know, right now, I I think... uh, a lot of artists are trying to piggyback narratives. If you look on Instagram and other, other places where artists are showing their work and sharing it, you start to see the memes of the disaster. Oftentimes these memes are short-lived, so a short-lived idea is bad for an artist because by the time the work is produced and put out there, the interest of the people, of the audience, has, has shifted. So... Uh, it makes for an interesting uh, mixture of ideas, responses, and reactions.
0: What, how, um, how are the younger people, let's talk about them now, how, how are they dealing with this? It's, this has got to be bad timing for young folks coming out of school right now. And uh, jobs are, um, you know, mostly there's a diminution of jobs, Mm. but there are also new jobs out there. And so you've got to be kind of wily, let's say, to figure out where are the opportunities and not assume that it's all a bad story, that there is nothing good about a pandemic. But there are ways that you can still look for Uh, where your niche is going to be now and as this evolves.
3: Well, I agree with that. Uh, This year, we graduated uh, two students uh, from our art program. Uh, one is a young man named Myron. I don't know if I can mention his last name or not. But uh, Myron is moving on to the School of Visual Arts uh, in, uh, right in the middle of the Financial District in New York.
0: I'm familiar uh, with it. Yeah. He's a That's brilliant brilliant
3: great. student. Uh, he's an alum of McDonough 35, and I met him while doing a day with the artist uh, workshop at the Ogden. And, and he immediately, it was right when he was graduating, so he joined our team at Dillard. And he's just been an outstanding, outstanding, I'm going to go ahead and say his full name, Myron Solomon. An Myron outstanding Solomon. artist. And he also was, uh, he also did the Zulu poster this year.
0: Oh, is that right? Yes, right. yes.
3: So if you've seen that beautiful Zulu poster that's out, that's one of our alum from Dillard University. He just graduated. So Myron is an incredible student, and he's continuing on to develop his craft in New York, where he's going to be right in the midst of everything. So the yeah. changes that are going to take place in the arts will start in New York, and he'll be there for that change. So well,
0: uh, you said they'll start in New York. They certainly will, but we will also innovate. We, The thing people don't realize about new orleans unless they're a little bit more steeped in it is that we are an incredibly innovative original city so may there may be a music form that comes along that came out of they say the bronx let's talk about rap and and hip-hop but we twisted it around Mm -hmm. and we've got sissy bounce and we've got bounce and you know we're always coming up with a new way to do things so all credit to New York. I'm an, I'm an ex-New Yorker. I'm a former New Yorker, but I'm loyal now to my town here. I've been here yes, longer yes, than yes, I was in New, or- in new York. So I'm, I'm, I I'm have a lot of faith in, in our creativity here and the new things we might come up with. What What are you seeing in the way of uh, any kind of new developments that um, some of the artists uh, who are working here mm-hmm. are doing? And then the other question I have about is how many artists are we m- being able to retire? here mm-hmm. as opposed to losing them to uh, the other cities. You know, we've always lost right. our musicians from the beginning of the century. We didn't invest in them enough. And so we need to invest, mm-hmm. of course, more. And I keep trying to find ways to make sure people know about the art that's being made so that they buy it, because they got to right. buy it if you guys are going to you know, stay here.
3: So before I uh, answer that question, I want to I talk about the out- other outstanding graduate that we had this year. Her name is Cammie White. And uh, before she graduated, as of uh, January, she was hired as a curatorial assistant at the new African-American Museum, where um, she's been working closely with Gia uh, Hamilton. What,
0: here or in yes, Gia? Yes, yeah, yeah.
3: Right, yeah, right here in New Orleans. Right. So she's an incredible curator. She's really showing a tremendous promise. What's her name? Cammie White.
0: Cammie White, okay. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and she's going to be here working uh, with the African-American Museum. But in terms of... Uh, what was your question that I'm supposed to answer?
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're right on it. You're right on it.
3: You know, but in terms of uh, um, how young people are dealing with this, it really depends. Uh, if the young people are still living with relatives, uh, some of the feedback I'm getting from students is it's incredibly challenging because uh, some students live in multi-generation households, and they've had to cope with older, older relatives who've gotten tremendously ill and uh, you know it can really throw their rhythm off and anytime you have a semester that begins on campus and then it turns into an online thing Uh, it totally uh, breaks the continuity of what it is you're offering and and whatever self discovery they were making in the studio it gets really uh, constrained but uh, in terms of young artists who have sort of started their careers I do think that It is a positive time. It is a positive time because uh, if you've already established a presence online, if you've already established a, uh, a marketing strategy, then this is a better time for you because more people are going to the online space to see art and get a hold of art. And so if you've already started to establish a presence in the more heavily populated places, you're now getting more exposure because more people are in a position to stop and observe and take a look and, and search it out versus before when everybody was so busy. But uh, I did want to, I did bring a list of a few students who I wanted to give some props to. Former students. students. Yeah. Uh, I want to start with this incredible artist. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this young man graduated from Dillard in 2014. And that year he also won Best in Show in Louisiana Contemporary, which is a juried exhibition that has around 900 applicants. And as a person freshly graduated from college, he did quite well by getting Best in Show. And uh, he's currently in the public school system in Jefferson Parish. And uh, then we have Jerlisa DeVazan. She graduated in 2011. Uh, Jaleesa recently finished up an MFA in sculpture and metalsmithing at a uh, University of Southern... Wait, wait, it's SMU, Southern Methodist University, right? And so she's currently working as a college professor. I'm not sure where. Okay, I mentioned Myron, Cammie. Then we have Damian Hunter. He graduated, uh, uh, I think, around 20, 2010 or 2011. Damian has been a... Uh, Dynamic painter and visual storyteller for many years, even before he began. I think, nope, even before he began at Dillard. Okay, so you, you can hear over there. Okay, yes, yeah, so even before you know he started at Dillard, he had his own business and he had a, a constant presence at Jazz Fest with his booths and his paintings. So he's continued doing that and he's evolved. Uh, we have a young man named Alfredo Ott who graduated in 2004. Alfredo also played uh, basketball in Spain and Italy and the U.K., and he now has a studio in this big studio complex in downtown Houston. And Alfredo is an excellent illustrator and painter. And then we have Harry Cass. Harry Cass uh, is another alum of the early 2000s. Harry has also worked in the school system for many years, and Harry has a business called Respect Art, and it is an art... uh, it is an artist business. He he makes original work and prints and reproductions. Uh, we featured Harry uh, with his first solo exhibition in our art gallery last November, and it was not—I mean, November before last. So that would be uh, 20, 2018. no twenty nineteen, no twenty eighteen. I'm sorry. But anyway, it was a great show. Uh, he sold a lot of work. So uh, the way artists evolve. Under these challenging times, you know, I I really strongly recommend that we consider what our competition is going to be in the future. It's going to be artificial intelligence. Uh, Currently, the pyrographic drawings that I've been doing where I I take a a heated stylus and and do the drawings. A couple of my colleagues who work uh, with uh, CNC machines, that's a laser laser cutter, like, oh, well, I can do that with that. I'm like, maybe you can, but it won't feel the same way. You know what I mean? So we're in the business of impact and feelings, right? So uh, we have to understand, if you're going to wall yourself off into one corner and say, this is all I do, you're going to find yourself uh, boxing yourself into potentially a dark side of the room you know i mean you're gonna have to be flexible you you know every everything that that every opportunity that passes because you're so proud about well i'm a painter and i do nothing else so you're going to miss opportunity to get to get a check in drawing or illustration or digital work because uh one thing i have to emphasize as a professor at a historically black college where a great majority of our students are first generation college students We have an emphasis that the students can become financial after they graduate. Uh, We really push that. We don't encourage anybody to pursue this who is going to turn out to be a starving artist. That means you chose the wrong field. You've got to focus what you're doing into something that the world needs. And this is part of how the creative enterprise is going to survive in the future.
0: You know, I I, I want to put an emphasis on that because I've dealt with a bunch of artists over the years. Some of them who fit into that category of of starving artists, but they, of course, always find day jobs to keep themselves alive. And, of course, one of the real uh, conundrums of this particular uh, epidemic is that hospitality jobs, which were a key source of day and night work for artists, education jobs, um, really in addition to their facilities being closed out uh, has been a real problem we're getting feedback so um, I just uh, um, I want to emphasize that the artists who make it are uh, the artists who figure out that they have to do the business of art, too. They have to do the marketing. They have to get on the phone. They have to talk to me. I have one friend who's she's pretty much the leading woman artist in the world, Linda Benglis. She's from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Wow. She went to Newcomb. Then she went to New York. And i tell you what. She did one incredibly clever thing. She was really annoyed with the fact that they weren't respecting women artists, right? Mm-hmm. So she posed nude with their body all oiled up with a dildo placed strategically and basically said, oh, you need me to be a male artist? Is that it? Infamous. Big damn deal. And she was launched. So there's always some promotional approach Marketing approach to getting yourself known. Look at look at B Mike. B Mike goes out and does those murals out in the in the projects uh, across the river, and, and Doug McCash gets hooked up on it. Next thing you know, Doug is all over him. He just can't stop. And he's gotten a lot of publicity. So it's all about not just your work, but uh, getting out there and doing the marketing. As I keep trying to tell my husband, oh, yeah. <laughs> whose work is not the most marketable because it's more conceptual than it is, you know, really fine artist uh, implementation. So, um, uh, John, I, I'm really, you know, of course, always blown away by what you do and by the artists that you've raised up. And I want the names of all of those artists because okay. I need to call them because uh, take, let me take the privilege of promoting our um, virtual tours program that we have going right now it's called artists in view it's on our website and what we do is we ask the artists to kind of do a little diy video oh, showing their work in their studios in their galleries we post it on our website we post it all over social media, and then it's there. It's for the artist to use. We've got about seven videos up there now. You need to take a look at them. There's all kinds of work, from the wow, really esoteric wow. to the kind of everyday. It's a real mix, and it's been a lot of fun. So please check out Artists in View. It's on the Cano website. Cano is the Letters for the Creative Alliance of New Orleans. You go on there, and you go under Artisan View, and you'll see some samples of them. And there's an invite letter. So if you're an artist, you look at that invite letter, and you take from that invite letter... The uh, opportunity to put your own videos up there. So, and I know you're going to do yours real soon, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I need right. it for either the Tuesday. We do Tuesdays and Fridays. So maybe you want to do for Friday?
3: I should probably. I, I should be able to get something done. I'm, I'm in the studio every day, so it's it's not like it's. A,
0: um, I'm I'm looking like a big forward deal. to your video. I know it's going to be really cool. Absolutely.
3: So, uh, I, I, you, you know, I also want to you know stress that. Uh, These are times of change, and it's very important for artists to be flexible and aware because they're a classic example of how the aesthetics change after uh, disasters. A a, a quick quick example is how a lot of people will make purchases uh, as long as they can be certain that the people receiving the money are not connected to political political things that they don't agree with. So that's something that didn't exist 20 years ago. I'm absolutely certain at the end of this, there's going to be a different uh, modality around acquiring work, and I'm not sure what that's going to be, but. As artists, we have to keep our eyes open because when these shifts happen, we're all we 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 find out on the fly. You know, we, we don't we don't we're not at the table when the decisions are made, this is what we're going to support.
0: I know, and you know there's a good example in that um, the the fairs have taken over as an important way to sell work, but now the fairs are threatened because those are big events with big crowds and so they're doing virtual uh, tours also, the fairs are, Yes. and then the auction houses are having to do their sales uh, virtually also so there's going to be all kinds of changes and you're right, let's keep your eyes open listen y'all, John Barnes, he's got his eyes open. He's got his hands open making work. And um, he, he's going to continue and he's going to churn out these great students and he's going to send me their names so I can invite them to do their videos. Wonderful. John, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Look, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Great. Now we have um, a guest who is um, I I use the word encyclopedic I didn't make that up, somebody else made that up Keith Sparrow is the music writer, critic for um, for the uh, Times-Picayune advocate one of these days they'll come up with an easier name for it all (laughs) but in the meantime it's kind of a hybrid of the old Times-Picayune and the new new, um, advocate and um, yeah Uh, Yeah So uh, I think that um, We want What I wanted to talk to Keith about this time And we've talked in the past uh, Whenever I I really need to know something I I know who to call It's Keith Sparrow Ah, (laughs) He's Uh, the guy Um, but but today, what we're going to talk about is Little Richard. He is yet another in the pantheon of legends that we have recently lost. Um, it kind of started, I guess, with Toussaint, right? Was he kind of the, the first one? Uh, I mean, needless to say, it's been happening over time. But there's been this cluster of people from kind of our generation who we've been we've been losing, and I don't I don't really understand. Um, you know what the timing is of course now we've had covid deaths ellis Marcellus being one of them and uh, we had Delphio on the station two week uh two weeks talking about both him and the music scene in general but today is about little richard and i tried to find somebody who had worked with him who was still alive and uh, you're the closest thing <laughs> you're not a musician but you you've been with him so uh, let's talk about little richard
4: well, yeah, to your point, I mean, attrition has definitely taken its toll on all the musicians that played with him back in the uh, You know, it's just, and, and talking about all the, the legends that we've lost, you know, it's just that time in life. I mean, all these guys are making the great records in the, the 50s and 60s, and now in their 70s and 80s. So, you know, statistically, you're going to be losing a lot of these guys. Yeah, Little Richard, of course, uh, most recent, wasn't from New Orleans, but New Orleans had a huge impact on his
0: life. How- how would how would you describe that? Because uh, I know I think it probably was a two way street. I'm sure he had an impact on New Orleans because New Orleans music can range everywhere from you know a job da 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 da. To harder hitting stuff and his music is extremely hard hitting and of course when I grew up in the Bronx man we all were all over it it was, it was very, very much expressed kind of our, our uh, um, take no prisoners energy up there so but, yeah. but how did, how did um, uh, from what I think it was you who told me that he, he wasn't that well known before he came here he comes here he works at a New Orleans studio and bam it yeah. happens
4: yeah he had done some singles he, he was out of Macon Georgia he had done some singles for the Peacock label and some other labels that hadn't really made a whole lot of, of, of racket. Um, so a demo he had recorded found its way to specialty records and the head of specialty suggested, Why don't you go to New Orleans and record in Cosmo Metassa Studio Who was
0: that guy? Uh, do art, you remember Art Rupi I think Art who Art Rupi I believe R- Art Ruby. R- yeah P-e-E-t- I just want to give some credits to somebody who did something really yeah. important
4: so, uh, so yeah so he suggested we go down to New Orleans go to Cosmo Matassa studio J&M recording on Rampart Street work with some of the same musicians that are playing on all these hit Fats Domino records that are coming out of New Orleans so that's what Little Richard did came down Cut some records with Earl Palmer on drums, Lee Allen on sax. Uh, and one of those songs was Tootie Frutti. Tootie Frutti?
0: Pretty good there. <laughs> Who wrote that song? You know, it was an
4: old risque. Look
0: how I'm putting them on the spot. No, it, was a, it
4: was apparently kind of a traditional song. Um, it was very risque in its original version. So Richard kind of moved it around a little bit and, and toned
0: it and down a I bit. I
4: think it was a New Orleans writer that helped kind of sanitize the lyrics and made him a little more palatable for more uh-huh. mass consumption.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he did it. Kind of like all that old Bessie Smith music, right? A whole bunch.
4: Yeah, so he did it in uh, you yeah, know 1955, and yeah, that became his breakthrough hit. So from there he was off and running, you know, for a couple of three years until he kind of had a religious conversion and then walked away from rock and roll for a while. And that's kind of the pattern that he would follow throughout his life. Kind of coming in and out of the secular and the spiritual. When he was in the rock and roll world, he was very into it. You know, he kind of lived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll ethos to the full extent. Um,
0: but then so he, he then managed. he needed to pull back and cool a little yeah, bit, cool exactly. it and out. He would
4: decide, oh wait, I'm going too far. i have to cool it out a little bit. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, the New Orleans connection was really interesting. You know, he went to the Do Drop In which was the the old New Orleans night spot where a lot of these rhythm and blues musicians would hang out. Um, So he definitely picked up some influences there. And as you said, the influence worked both ways because he had a much more um, kind of driving uh, style than, say, Fats Domino did. Fats was a little more laid back of a piano player. But Little Richard was more in the sort of Jerry Lee Lewis school. Right, right. What's
0: that all about? So Jerry Lee Lewis, was he originally from his... I know he's from... He worked in North Louisiana. He was part of the whole Louisiana hayride scene. But I don't know where he was actually from.
4: Jerry Lee Lewis was from Faraday, Louisiana.
0: So, okay, so he was Louisiana, but uh, Little Richard's from Mississippi.
4: No, making Georgia.
0: Oh, okay, right. Georgia, yep. uh, I, I kind of attribute a lot of the um, the R and B people to uh, Mississippi because so much came out of there too. Right. But okay, so he starts making this real rock and roll, very intense stuff. How did, if at all, how did that affect New Orleans music? What what was the give back, in a sense, or the other side of that coin?
4: You know, it's hard to say specifically, but certainly, you know, success has a lot of imitators. So, um, you know, when people saw the Little Richard records were doing really well, that certainly uh, had some sort of influence on in it. So. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it went both ways, and I think in those days, you know, again, a lot of the same musicians were playing on all those records that were coming right of the yeah
0: right. So, yep.
4: those guys heard what Little Richard did, you know, they adapted maybe a little bit to, to his style, uh, and vice versa. So, it was just kind of a back and forth. But okay. Really interesting. would have been... Amazing to be a flying law back
0: in those days. When I, I all these guys are making records there. Yeah, I, I couldn't help it. I was thinking the same thing. Now we're supposed to have Aaron Neville calling in, and I hope that this is going to work out because this is kind of a. Uh, we're we're out here on the frontier. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely uh, kind of cowboy land for a moment here. Mm. So I hope that we get him on. But I think Aaron was one of the few people who actually is he on the phone now? Can I can I'm I? Hear, here. How do I hear him?
2: I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: You got to connect me? Yeah. I can't go hear him yet. Go ahead. Aaron. Hello. Hey there you are. Hey. Oh, you're such yeah, a here. sweet. You're such a sweetheart for calling in. I so appreciate it. You know, I've been sitting here with Keith Sparrow, who I credit as one of the encyclopedias of the music scene, and he's been talking yeah, about up. his experience. But I, I want to know, um, I understand that there was a lot of time. You didn't actually play with him, but you did kind of hang out a bit with, with him and some of the other musicians that he worked with. Tell me about that.
2: Well, I, I did a road trip with him, with Larry Williams. Larry Williams is sitting on the road with
0: him. Larry, what's all that noise? Uh, oh, hey, wow. Aaron, you're going to have to talk up because you, you know what? We're out on the street. That's, We're out on Gentilly screenings. Boulevard to next my, to the uh, fairgrounds because we've been handing out uh, wipes, uh, uh, rather, um, masks to people, so it's kind of uh, crazy. So talk up.
2: Yeah, I, said, I met Larry Williams. I mean... Little Riches through Larry Williams, who made Bonnie Maroney, Short Fat Fanny, and Slow Down, and all that stuff. And also, I uh, met him at when he recorded at Cosmos. And um, what else? Uh, oh
0: wow! Oh, sorry about the feedback. We're working it out. We're trying to get a better. He can't yeah. hear that. Okay. Plus,
2: remember, remember the song, "The Girl Can't Help It" that he sang.
0: Oh yeah, the girl can't help. From
2: the moodle. Well, that's my brother, Artie, and the friend thing singing the background on that. Can't help it. The girl can't help it. <laughs> yeah. You know so
0: what? we really are the
2: devils? really like Artie. They, every time they hook up together, they have a nice time laughing, you know. I can imagine Art and little
4: Richard
2: together. There'd be some great stories there. Yeah, it, it was... You'd get a laugh out of it, believe me.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh... You know, and and Aaron, we were just talking about that, about how Little Richard, when he came down to New Orleans and worked at Cosmos, you know, a little bit of that New Orleans magic really rubbed off, and he had Tutti Frutti and all those hits started coming right after that, after he was in New Orleans.
2: Just about everything he recorded after that was from New Orleans, recorded here, I mean New Orleans.
4: Yeah, and it, it, yeah. it did great for him, it really did, so, um, yeah, and he was obviously a very colorful character,
2: to say the least. No doubt. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
4: So, in, he was in that flamboyant, sense, he, Whatever. What's that?
2: He's really flamboyant.
4: <laughs> yes, in, in that regard, he also fit in with New Orleans, I guess. Oh,
2: yeah. Drop, you know, uh, him I was FQ asking about the You know,
0: asking you We know that he, he came here, he was unknown, he works in Cosmo's uh, studio. Uh, Bam, he becomes a big hit. I guess my question is how did he. We know how New Orleans affected him.
2: Ernie
1: Cato said that all music came from New Orleans. Yeah. Right. So
2: Did you so hear me? It was when New Orleans is affecting him. Yes, yeah, sir. So Ernie Cato's famous words, but all music came from New Orleans.
4: Yeah, that that's that kind of sums it up, I guess. So, yeah. Uh,
2: Aaron,
0: yeah. Old were you
2: huh? the
0: first time?
2: How old were you the first time you ever heard him? I can't understand what you're saying. You're breaking up. Real bad. She,
4: Aaron, she was asking how old you were when you first heard Little Richard's music.
2: Uh, I don't know what, what year music came out in. I don't remember. It
4: was 50, 55 when Tutti Frutti came out. Well I was 14. 14, all right. So you were a fan yeah. of those records probably, huh?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, like him and uh, Fats and the uh, Berry. Did, did you ever... Dad, uh,
4: well, say, did you ever dance to those records at uh, at dances in the neighborhood or anything?
2: Oh yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, and my brother and them, uh, Arthur the Hawquettes, they won the contest out at Lincoln Beach playing "Rip It Up" by uh, Little Richard. Uh,
4: so the Hawkettes were on the bill with them, you said?
2: No, they. It was a talent show, and they played uh, "Rip It Up" by Little Richard and won the talent show at Lincoln Beach.
4: Ah, okay, at Lincoln Beach. All right, cool. Very yeah. good. Very good. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's a, that Little Richard music, it had that kind of driving beat that made you want to move.
2: Yeah, but it was the New Orleans beat. <laughs> exactly,
4: exactly. It was very no familiar no. to locals. Yeah, because that was Earl you Palmer played it. drums on those, I Earl think, Earl
2: Palmer. Right? Yeah, Earl Palmer. Um, I don't know if Chuck Bader's on bass or what, but...
4: And I think um, Lee Allen on sax.
2: Lee right? Allen, yeah.
4: All those guys. Yeah, yeah. What a, what an incredible period of music that was.
2: We're just about i sorry about can't understand anything you're saying, Gene.
0: But uh, tell me this. When are we going to see your face back here on the
2: streets of the when, world? When, when we need to visit. The coronavirus is, visit. is out of sight. Did you hear my key? Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. I, I didn't hear you. He say one I'm going to see my face down in New Orleans. I whenever the coronavirus is gone. <laughs> there you go.
0: All right.
4: That's well, the right, that's the right answer.
2: Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah, I hope it's soon, but who knows?
4: Well, meantime, you're still doing your uh, your Facebook live streaming on Sundays, right?
2: Yeah, I haven't done it in a while because we had a problem with the, it was like cutting in and out, cutting in and out, So we're going to fix that, and I'm going to start all over again. And uh, so doing, I, I like. Uh, we've been doing it over over a year, like a year and a half. Right, since well before, before else was doing Yeah, it.
4: before all the craziness started. So yeah, that's a good way for yeah, fans yeah. to get a little taste of not you a, on, on Facebook for sure.
2: Not, and not a are is flooded, you know.
4: Right, right. Everybody's. You were a trendsetter. Yeah. And
2: hey, I'm glad like to the, see. Uh, I, like I, I did that. Show you did on Ivan. Well,
4: that's, that's what I was about to say. I'm glad that Ivan's doing doing well and recovered from his experience with coronavirus. Yeah.
2: No so, doubt, yeah. The papers, and it looks great. All right, we got to roll. I'm going to bring you back. Give me my she, she tell her I can't understand nothing she Oh uh, uh, Sorry, way. and
4: she was just saying that we're kind of out of time, so she's gonna uh, catch up with you again. I think at another time, and she appreciates you calling in.
2: All right, you're welcome. Y'all have a good one and be safe. All right, Aaron, thanks, well. man. Thanks. Uh, all right.
0: That's what happens when you have a pro sitting beside you. He, he catches, he catches it, and he keeps it going. Keith Sparrow one of the best ever. Music critics and writers, and we owe a lot to him keeping us informed on what's going on in this music town. Y'all, thank you so much for listening in. It's been a crazy time out here. You have no idea. There's so many people who have been picking up their masks, and we've enjoyed every minute. But i got to turn this over now to my buddy here saying, Hey, okay, it's time, Gene, get off the air. And here comes Gerald. Almost she
3: knows how to love me, yes, indeed, but You don't know what you do to me, do the
2: fruit. oh, Rudy.